Welcome to the podcast, What Do You Think, God? Where you're encouraged to build intimacy with God by asking Him questions. Hi, my name is Patty, and I'll be challenging the way you think. In the trailer, I likened Christianity to a puzzle that we're assembling one piece at a time, hoping for a glimpse of the bigger picture. Up until now, we've been working on the foundational design of the puzzle, Christ's redemptive work, and God's nature. Today, I'd like to move from the main picture to the more obscure areas of the puzzle and suggest why I think mainstream Christianity has adopted some beliefs and sayings that can harm people's faith. I want to hold up one puzzle piece at a time and ask you to consider before God whether that piece belongs to this puzzle at all. You see, my object in doing this is to prepare you to receive the word concerning divine healing. The next subject we'll be covering. So our question of the day is, are some of my beliefs and sayings questionable? The first saying we'll examine is, God sometimes says no, and the evidence used to support this statement. I will agree to this statement if it relates to anything not specifically promised by God in the Bible. For example, the Bible does not tell me the name of the man I am to marry. Neither does it say I'm ever going to get married at all. So if I ask God, can I marry so-and-so, his answer may be no. But anything that has been promised and paid for through the finished work of Christ is always a yes. 2 Corinthians 1, 19-20 says, But the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. God is a promise keeper, and Christ's sacrificial death is a finished work. So the question to ask ourselves before we speak the words God sometimes says no is, is this situation linked to the finished work of Christ? Because if it is, it is a promise. And God has said and will always say yes to his promises. We stand on the work of Christ because the purchase price has already been paid. Not only that, we stand on the character of God. He has said that he watches over his word to perform it, Jeremiah 1, 12. And our God is not a liar, Psalm 89, 35. God's promises provide us with an expected end, hope that is based on a firm foundation of Christ's finished work and God's character. We know it will happen. What we don't know is how or when. When I'm tempted to get discouraged waiting for God to manifest one of his promises in my life, I remember Abraham who waited 25 years for his promised son and the Israelites who waited 700 years for the Messiah to be born on earth. 
What faith they must have had to continue instructing their generations to believe that Messiah was coming. We believe to receive. Can I make conclusions that God's answer to me is no, just because his answer doesn't fall within my time frame? I think not. Some people use 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9 as proof that God says no. They say that God sometimes says no when we ask for healing. There's a problem with this interpretation because it violates other scripture. Let's see what the passage says. Paul is speaking, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. This passage has been interpreted that Paul was sick, possibly eye trouble, and God refused to heal him. You need to know that I have no doubt Paul was sick at times. And it was probably eye trouble because other scriptures allude to it. No doubt every believer is attacked in some way by Satan, but I think we go too far when we insist that Paul was immune from sickness as if God treated him with favoritism because of his status as an apostle. At least six verses confirm that God has no favorites. However, I do not believe that 2 Corinthians 12, 7-9 refers to physical sickness, but rather to persecution. Is there a promise of God that deals with physical healing? Yes, there is. Physical healing is promised in the great exchange passage, Isaiah 53, 5. With his stripes we are healed. This refers to the whipping of Jesus, which occurred over 2,000 years ago and will never happen again. His stripes were exchanged for our healing at the time of his death. Notice that we are healed, not that we will be healed. This means that healing is our heavenly reality, and we experience it when we believe and receive. Some might say that the great exchange doesn't refer to physical healing, but rather to spiritual healing. Matthew 8, 16-17 explains that the passage in Isaiah was directly related to physical and spiritual healing. When the evening was come, they brought unto him many who were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Let's return to the thorn in the flesh interpretation. I've been told that it's wisest to use scripture to interpret scripture, so I looked up all biblical references to the word thorn. In every instance, the Israelites were warned by God not to allow those who worshipped other gods to settle among them, because the unbelievers would turn his people's devotion away from him. 
Know for certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you, and scourges in your side, and thorns in your eyes, until ye perish from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. Joshua 23.13 Not once was sickness mentioned. To interpret thorn in the flesh as sickness implies that God would withhold healing from us even though it was already paid for. This belief undermines our faith because in believing it, we've exchanged our firm foundation for shifting sand. We become double-minded, believing in a God who could change his mind on a whim. And James 1, 6-8 says, Let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. This belief that God said no to Paul and refused to heal him violates 2 Corinthians 1.20. This verse does not say some of the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes. No, Scripture says all of the promises in Christ are yes. Last time I looked, all meant complete, nothing missing. Not only that, this belief suggests that God's promises shift according to circumstances and that God's will could be different from what he has written in his word. Can you see the negative implications? Will you consider training your tongue from casually affirming mainstream beliefs before you've examined them with God and establish what you truly believe? One final word on the subject. Paul says, There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. A messenger delivers a message, and buffet means to force one's way by a fight or struggle, to strike. I can imagine Paul being followed about by men who would disrupt his meetings or walks through the street by talking over him, slapping his back, tripping him, etc. Healing is a promise. Deliverance from persecution is not. Another saying some Christians speak is God helps those who help themselves. This saying can be used to urge others to do something when waiting on God doesn't seem to be producing any results. I agree, God does help those who help themselves, but he also helps the helpless, those without hope. Lord, who can compare with you? Who else rescues the helpless from the strong? Who else protects the helpless and the poor from those who rob them? Psalm 35.10 God helps people, regardless of whether they are weak or strong, because that is who he is. He is a helper. Sometimes Christians can't receive from God because they believe in predestination. Their salvation is not settled. Let's examine the teaching about predestination. 
Some believe that God planned beforehand who he would save. So if you're not one of the chosen ones, there's nothing you can do to change God's mind. What God planned beforehand is what he would do for those who chose him. God is all-knowing, so he has always been aware of whether we will choose him or not. As a result of his knowledge that there would be people who would choose him, he predestined the wonderful things he would do for them. You see, he predestined his blessings, not his people. Romans 8.29 says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. Here are two verses in Ephesians chapter 1 that actually use the word predestinated. Ephesians 1.5, Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. And Ephesians 1.11, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. God chose beforehand to adopt and give an inheritance to those people he already knew would choose him. He has not taken away our power of choice. In episode 7, we talked about the sovereignty of God. Because God is almighty, we tend to think that God can do whatever he chooses with no limitations. But this isn't true. The sovereign God chose in his sovereignty to set boundaries upon himself so that we could live by faith because there would never be a question about how he would act. Some of those boundaries are this. He must always tell the truth. He must do what he said he would do. He always responds to faith, not unbelief. And lastly, he always says yes to the fulfillment of his promises. The effectiveness of our faith depends on God's unwavering adherence to his word and character. If he wants us to live by faith, he has to be accountable to us, establishing immovable facts to build our faith on. He hasn't set us up to fail by telling us that without faith it is impossible to please him and giving us nothing to believe in. Instead, he promises to reward our faith, Hebrews 11.6. If you think I'm being arrogant and disrespectful to Almighty God by insisting that God has to be accountable to us, ask yourself this question, which scenario honors God the most? To believe that God's character is fixed and that we can rely on him? Or that God's character is wishy-washy, variable, changing with the circumstances? Because after all, he is mysterious and no man can really know him. Some believe that the will of God is always done on earth. This suggests that even tragedies are his will. We casually say, The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I propose that the Lord's will is not always being done on earth. And my reasoning is this. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus instructed us to pray, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. 
Matthew 6.10. If God's will was always being done in earth, why would Jesus ask us to pray for it? God's will is being done in heaven, according to Jesus' words. Kingdom reality is God's will. Jesus is asking us to pray for the manifestation of God's will in the earth. The manifestation is always available to us, but we manifest his will when we believe and receive. Well, that's all for now. We're going to focus on divine healing for about a month, beginning with the question, is healing God's will? Until next time, thanks for listening. If you are being helped at all, please consider writing a review and spreading the news. Thank you. I want to credit and thank Audio Resume for the music clips taken from the song Nova on the album Born for Freedom. If you'd like to hear more of Audio Resume's creative works, go to freemusicarchive.org slash music slash audio resume slash D-I-S-C-O-G-R-A-P-H-Y. You spell audio resume A-U-D-I-O-R-E-Z-O-U-T. Thanks for listening.